Welcome to Off Grid with Void. That's me. And Dave, that's me. Where we like cryptic crosswords. So we've sold one. But we know you perhaps might not. So we've picked three words from the puzzle to use as launch pads for little stories to tell you. If you do like doing the puzzle, this time it was the Financial Times puzzle number 17326 from Tuesday the 7th of February, and that was set by Bobcats. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. On the other hand, there's no shame in ignoring that bit of information and just carrying on listening as if I hadn't even said it. (laughs) We'll also each explain how our favourite clue from the puzzle works and have a mini quiz inspired by it, for which, as ever, we'll need general knowledge. Hello again, General. Hello again. Thank you for inviting me again. If we couldn't do it without you, we really couldn't. So we'll now read out our three favourite clues for you. If you're not into solving, don't worry about it. Just let them wash over you. We'll explain how they work later. General, what was your favourite clue, please? My favourite clue was 22 Across, which was rude character that is not apparent in Michael Caine's performance. Ten letters. And Dave? Uh, I picked 15 Down, which said... Very, very French. Almost all attending mass in Old Cathedral City. Nine letters. And what did you choose? Seven down. Seaweed reportedly gathered from prime locations in La Guaira. Four hyphen four. So have a think about those or ignore them. We'll tell you later how they work. But first, General, what did you pick out of the puzzle and why? Okay, so I picked the word dairy maid because I suppose the, the, the clue itself has a slight relation to cheese, but actually there is a cheese mentioned in the clue as well as in the solution because the fact that there's a cheese thing in here is great because I have an obsession with cheese boards and <laughs> I could rant for hours about cheese boards and the quality of cheese boards in this country so i thought it was a good good idea to kind of use it as a stepping off point now when you say cheese board do you mean the piece of wood on which you cut cheese or do you mean a selection of cheeses i mean a selection of cheeses and the general aesthetic and condiments and things that go with it so the board is part of the whole cheese board okay but not not itself so i don't really like sweet things Uh which means that every time i go out for a meal with my husband who's a big sweet toother he has a dessert and I go, I'm going to have the cheese board. And he says, you you will regret it. I go, no, I won't. it's going to be delicious. And it comes out and I always regret it because it's never what I want in a cheese board. So I have actually established these quite draconian rules of the perfect <laughs> cheese board, okay. which is essentially, <laughs> essentially that, that the cheese board needs to have three to five cheeses, but it needs a hard cheese, it needs a soft cheese, and it needs a blue cheese. And that's just a given. And then okay, if you're, yeah, lucky, if, if you're lucky, there's a goat's cheese and then possibly there's even a wild card. The wild card is something amazing or smelly or gooey or just something a bit weird. But they've got to be at room temperature. This is my big bugbear. <laughs> she says, quoting the crossword again, that you get cold cheese. It's like there's no place for cold cheese. And, and you know, this is a bit that we can kind of work with, but then I have some quite draconian rules as well. So you have your cheeses. There must be a selection of different things on which to spread cheese. Oh, yeah. There must be some fruit, one or two types of fruit, and there must be some tracklements. And that's just because I love the word tracklements. I was never just hear about it. to say. What? Although they're not on a cheese board. I don't really know. It's not chutneys and things, but yeah, I like the word tracklements. And then the bit that's really controversial is 
there is to be no water biscuits because they are the work of the devil and there is to be no celery. And celery and cheese board is just an absolute no-no. So to me, they're quite simple. (laughs) (laughs) And if people just obeyed the rules of the cheese board, life would be so much better for everybody. Now, I, I have to confess, I don't really know what a water biscuit is. I think I've just heard the phrase a lot and I think it's some sort of cracker, isn't it? What's a water biscuit? It's a sort of tasteless cracker thing that I, I don't know. I, there's a good question. Why is a water biscuit, I think, is a better oh, question. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like a Stilton. Mm. So I'm with you there on a blue yep. cheese. Needs a blue. Yep. Mm. I used to uh, work on a street just a few doors down from somewhere called the cheese shop. And so very often of a lunchtime, I would pop down to the cheese shop and get myself a ciabatta or a focaccia full of campazola and lettuce and what have you. And particularly nice. Last time I was in that place, the cheese shop was no longer there, which made me sad. That's very sad. Yeah. Mm. Proper cheese shops that can sell cheese that's ready to eat. This is another cheese-related issue, but if you go to the supermarket, <laughs> it's always cold. And mm. just, I, I get why cheese has to be cold, but I want cheese and I want it now. <laughs> you know, you, you don't like plan ahead with cheese, <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's 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 kept refrigerated to try and prolong its life. Yes, but that which is I can non-optimum exactly uh, storage I, for, and I can forgive. Eating. The supermarket, because, you know, I, I do appreciate there's a big picture here, but I do not forgive a restaurant for serving cold cheese. There's just no excuse. So I, I, have you ever sent a cheese board back and said, excuse me, <laughs> this cheese is too cold? It's too chilly. Have I ever? Yeah, this is why my husband goes, don't order the cheese board. Because <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to be embarrassed. Yeah, pretty much. And that's what happens. I'm, I'm good. If it's just slightly cold, I'll live with it. But... If it's, you know, I've been to places that I've otherwise done really nice meals and then you give you three cold, hard cheeses and it's like, you've, you've just, you're not, you know, mm, not taking it seriously. Out of the it's just exactly. what you had in stock. Not okay. Yeah. Take yeah. your cheeses seriously. So I have actually been thinking for oh, a long time, am I going to set up a blog about cheese boards and <laughs> <laughs> actually set up a campaign? So it was brilliant that even vaguely cheese-related thing came on here because it allows me to rant about cheese boards. Well, Spot the dairy, yeah. You're very welcome. <laughs> so, um, I'm vegetarian, and some cheeses aren't, which I think some people will go, what, <laughs> when, you, when I say that? And yeah, some cheeses are made with rennet, which is a mm. substance from uh, animal innards which helps it to set... So when I'm buying cheese, I have to look out to m- and make sure all the cheese I buy is vegetarian cheese, which has non-animal rennet in it. Now, I'm also flirting with the idea of going vegan, but I think the main it's, blocker on this is cheese. Yeah, we accidentally bought some vegan cheese a couple of weeks ago. It's not nice. I, I've, I've had a vegan pizza which had cheese on it. I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian, but we do try and eat as little meat as possible. Mm. it wasn't really cheese it was stuff i couldn't it was unlike anything i'd ever had before but yeah for me the the big blocker would be cheese almost but not quite entirely unlike cheese (laughs) (laughs) indeed 
Yeah, I mean, I've had some sort of coconut-based mm-hmm. uh, vegan cheese, and that'll do for a cheese sandwich mm. if, uh, in a sort of texture kind of way. But also, vegan cheese, it's too expensive. <sighs> Perhaps that will uh, change with time. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, I think I'm stuck as a vegetarian. It's, or you could be a vegan that eats cheese sometimes. Oh, now, mm, now come on. That's like quote vegetarians who eat fish they're not vegetarians then are they that's not what the word means rant 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 yeah so so you just need to come up with your own term like a pescatarian or cheesetarian yeah there you go no no hang on no it would be a a cheese a vegan vegan cheesian vegan cheesian i like that it it does sound like something from another planet but yeah yeah, of course Oh dear. Excellent. Dave. I think it's my turn to explain the one that I picked. Yes, if you remember at the start, the one that I selected was quite a longish one. It said, very, very French, almost all attending mass in Old Cathedral City. Cathedral City, more cheese. Hmm. Um, (laughs) I... I liked the smoothness of the surface on this one. Uh, you know, it brings to mind this highly devout French community all trolling off to church together. <laughs> but in this case, the first very was the definition. And parsing the rest of it really relied on splitting the remaining bits in the right places. Always tricky. Yeah. Very French almost all gives us T-R-E. That is all but the last letter of the French word for very. Très. I think attending is just a link word here, really. Mass is abbreviated to M, not in the religious sense, but in the physics sense, I suppose. Mm-hmm. In was a container indicator. Old is X-E-X. And Cathedral City is the crossword as favourite C. Ely. The ship of the fens. Mm. So you take all those bits and you put T-R-E and M in between EX and ELY, and you get extremely, very nicely done. Now, Void, what word or phrase floated to the top for you? Room at the Top, which is the title of a 1956 novel by John Brain, who was one of the so-called angry young men writers of the time. It's a story which tells the tale of a working-class man young man trying to make his way in post-World War II, still a very class-conscious society. But anyway, a couple of years after it came out, it was turned into a film. And that starred Simone Signore, who won an acting Oscar for it, and Lawrence Harvey, who made a guest appearance in 1973 in Columbo. Yeah which is a TV show that you talked about in episode three, General. I did. What a memory. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Lawrence Harvey gets a mention in the Adamant song Piccadilly from his 1990 LP Manners and Physique, the lead single from which was called... Anyone? It wasn't Room at the Top, was it? Yes, it was Room at the Top. A very circular. Yes, I like to go in circles. (laughs) But now, having gone in a circle, I'd like to go off at a tangent and pivot to an earlier Adamant song from his earlier punkier days with the ants, 
called The Day I Met God, okay. which features the lyric, Day I Met God, I got so carried away, not with the vision, but the streaks in his hair, not with religion, but the size of his knob. Because I have been reading a book called God and Anatomy by Professor Francesca Stavrakopoulou. Now, two disclaimers. Firstly, I haven't finished reading it yet. So if I get anything wrong for that reason, sorry. Secondly, I'm an atheist, as is the professor, which means I don't believe in the literal existence of any gods from any religious mythologies. But I do acknowledge that religious texts like, say, the Bible exist. They do. And they do. They do. And <laughs> I've well, seen them. Yeah, yeah. In the shops and everything. And while I don't, and churches famously. And I don't necessarily <laughs> accept that these texts are always a reliable telling of ancient events, but I do think they are historical documents of the stories that people were telling in the first millennium BCE or whenever. And for that reason, you know, they're interesting. Hmm. Now, it's from that kind of standpoint that the book takes a look at the Bible with particular analysis of the earliest text sources available to tell the story of God. So we get to find out, for example, about God's father and his wife uh, and which members of his family shagged some humans to father a race of giants, which is not the sort of thing you hear much about these days. And that is because there have been a lot of interpretations and translations of the ancient texts that contribute to the version of the Bible that people might be familiar with these days. So... Did you know that way back when God was thought of as being a corporeal being? And, for example, in Syria, there's the remains of an ancient temple dating back to at least the 8th century BCE. I'm not sure exactly when. Uh, and in that temple, you can see two one metre long footprints of God, allegedly. Now, as I said, the subtitle of this book is An Anatomy. And it looks at all the references to God's body in the early Bible texts and so on. Are you going to scale up from these one metre footprints to tell us how tall? Well, I was well, going to say how tall yeah. he is, but I was also going to wonder Ex about referring back to the song lyric, but no, perhaps not. So you can get your rear you know, big if feet you like. and dot, dot, dot. You know. But, you know, speaking of interpretation, certain words in the Bible <laughs> are often used euphemistically. <laughs> so, for example, bow as in bow and arrow, and hand or even feet can often be referring to something else. So isn't that really confusing, though? Because presumably hand can also refer to hand. Yes. And how are you meant to know whether it's like you're shaking hands or having an orgy? Well, And, yeah, and I, then when you get multiple translations from one language to another. Yeah, exactly. And I think along the way... Certainly there are people who will exploit ambiguities and deliberately try to be ambiguous to misrepresent any meaning. Um, I, I 
don't have the highest regard for religion. So I'll leave that there. In the book of Ezekiel... Oh, one, he... of the, one of the famously saner books of the Bible. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Ezekiel describes his vision of God, quote, like a human being, unquote, sitting on his lapis lazuli wheeled throne. And he talks of looking up and down from God's motnaim, which is a word that's usually rendered as loins or waist, but actually refers to the groin or the genitals. So Ezekiel basically saw the same thing that Adamant did when he was coming back in the van from Milan, as he said. And to go back to Room at the Top, when he sang, there is always room at the top, don't let them tell you that there is not, I like to think that Adamant was asking God to shove off and let humans have a go. Which I'm all for if we can have evidence-based policies. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I feel like my I didn't rant enough about cheese. I feel like <laughs> it was a bit undersold now. <laughs> yeah. Moving on swiftly. General, would you like to give us your favourite clue again and explain how it works to us, please? Uh, yes, I would. So it is clue number 22 across, and it is rude character that is not apparent in Michael Caine's performance. Um, and I had to admit, I had a little bit of help because I'm not really erudite to have got it myself. But I really like this clue because, again, the surface is really nice. I just have this image of Michael Caine doing his thing and, and somebody get round the back giving him the, the V's up. And, um, <laughs> and just a really nice um, image for me. Um, I also like it when they get an anagram that I should say this yeah this is an anagram that is uh, is almost exactly or is exactly another anagram it's really clever so essentially the the clue the, the straight definition is rude character that is not apparent so that is taking that is being ie taking it out of the letters of michael kane and using performance as an anagram indicator so if you and what had happened is i kind of worked that bit out and i had all the letters down i was looking at it going Rude character. What's what's a rude character? And Mr. Blobby, where does that go? And my husband, who's far more erudite than me, said, uh, couldn't, couldn't that be one of the rude mechanicals from Midsummer Night's Dream? And I was like, oh, right, okay. The only one I know is bottom. I'm like, it's not bottom. And then suddenly it was like, oh, yes, of course. It is actually just mechanical. And I thought that was a really clever clue. Yeah, that was very nice. I like that one too. I'm going to avoid doing my Michael Caine. I'm, I, yeah. Good. <laughs> Tell us about what word you picked instead. <laughs> um, I, I picked Desert Island, which was at 14 across. Now, tell me, what do these situations have in common? One, a tiny desert island. Two, a blindfolded prisoner facing a firing squad. Three, a flying saucer landing and its alien occupants emerging for their first interaction with earthlings. Uh, maybe for a jungle scene with a colonial type finding himself chest deep in the boiling stock of a cannibal cooking pot. So, I mean, I don't really know, but you're, you're conjuring up typical cartoon images for me. Yep. That's where I'm going, yeah. Oh, right, and, okay. And number five was going to be another prisoner, or maybe two, chained to the wall in a deep, dark dungeon. Yeah. All right. These are all cliched situations for single-panel gag cartoons. And I think chief and foremost among them is the Desert Island. 
Uh-huh. I'm sure we've all seen enough of them that, you know, just saying it, you picture the scene, you've got this uh, a little hump of sand rising from the middle of a vast flat ocean, probably a single palm tree, one or two ragged trousered occupants. <laughs> uh, and this kind of reminded me of a little... BBC Radio 4 series that I remember presented by a chap called Martin Plimmer on the subject of cartoon cliches, and it was covering most of those. Okay. So I went and I, I looked it up to see when this thing was on, and it was 2002. So I remember this programme for 20-plus years. Yikes. Uh, anyway, I thought I'd look back at a bit of the history of the Desert Island cartoon. Okay. The New Yorker magazine was founded in 1925 and by as early as 1934 apparently James Thurber the writer humorist and cartoonist Secret Life of Walter Mitty he wrote that didn't he? He did yes Mm. Uh, and there's a famous cartoon of his was like oh have it your own way you heard a seal bark just a couple in bed talking to each other behind the headboard there's a seal just peering over (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Anyway, yeah, as early as 1934 He'd sent a memo to an art meeting Saying, aren't we having too many cartoons About desert islands? (laughs) Now I've got several books of the cartoons From various sorts of publications that run cartoons So the New Yorker and Punch and Private Eye And all this kind of stuff And I was leafing through trying to find the first one that I could see and the first one that I could see was from 1934 by a cartoon called Richard Decker and even then it's already the stereotype the little one palm tree it's two men in ragged clothes and one of them's saying to the other perhaps we ought to set up some simple form of government (laughs) Like, and you, you know that that is the person who's going to be the prime minister. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. Sorry, dictator. Yeah. Uh, another one of his from two years later. This is a bit more of a realistic sort of island in the sense that you can only see one half of one sort of beach of it on the left hand side of the frame, mm-hmm. and the occupants here. You've got uh, a man, a rather good looking woman, a toddler, and a baby. And on the far horizon, on the right-hand side of the panel, is a ship. And slowly rowing towards the island is a little launch, which the man is watching. And he's saying to the woman, If my wife's on that boat, just pretend you don't know me. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think... I suppose a lot of comedy sort of stems from closed environments, doesn't it? You think of the great sitcoms that have people cooped up together in one place. Yeah. It's highlighting how so many conventions and mores of life that we take for granted are only meaningful in the certain context that you're established in. Established context of, of, yeah, yeah. of our social structures, and they show themselves as absurd when it's just like one or two people on their own or whatever. And the desert island is really kind of boiling down of all that into an archetype. I found another one from 1940. This is an island where there's, at the near end, a group of five stranded mariners who set up a little camp with a campfire. And at the far end, a massive colony of seabirds. <laughs> okay. 
and one man is returning from the far end carrying two heavily laden buckets and he's saying cheerily to the others and how does everybody want their eggs this morning (laughs) (laughs) it's with with uh, room temperature cheese (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, and it seems that the, the kind of gags that are told and the kind of situations they really don't change down the years it's it's all the same sort of stuff i've got one uh 1981 one from punch so you've got a sole inhabitant of the island standing on the foreshore with a drink in his hand, gazing thoughtfully out to sea. And behind him, pinned to the palm tree, is a sign that says, Singles Night, 8 till 2. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. I mean, how if you found yourself alone on the desert island, how would you keep yourself entertained? I mean, any kind of weak joke you could make, surely you'd do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, it did, at the end, lead me on. There was, uh, a few years ago, I think, a competition to find the best universal cartoon caption. So something that would work applied to any cartoon. (laughs) And there there were a couple that that did well, but they seem unsatisfactory to me because they're just bland Um, it's as though they're shouting their own genericness you know Uh, one of them was what a misunderstanding (sighs) yeah I can see that it would it would fit with anything but that's that's a very mild cheddar isn't it yeah well I mean the one that goes with it is I think you need an American accent for this one Christ what an asshole yeah. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. But the one that was declared the winner was by a chap called Frank Chimero. Uh, I think this is a much better one. So his choice for a universal cartoon caption applicable to any cartoon is... Hi, I'd like to add you to my professional network on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> much yes. better, I think. Anyway... Void, what was, uh, I think, your choice of clue had us floating about in the sea or something as well? It was, yes. I chose Seven Down as my favourite. Seaweed repeatedly gathered from prime locations in La Guaira for Hyphen 4. Now, on the face of it, this is a perfectly standard type of crossword, <laughs> cryptic crossword clue, because it's just telling you to pick some letters from these couple of words and that that's a very usual thing you might be asked to pick the first letters or the last letters or the middle letters or alternate letters regular letters the odd letters the even letters um yeah so this is one of those except it adds a a new twist well not quite new but a, a rare twist to that in that it's telling you I mean, gathered from is telling you to pick the letters from prime locations in La Guaira. Maths. Maths. La Guaira, in case you don't know, is a port in Venezuela, but you don't need to know that. What you do need to know is a basic bit of maths, prime numbers. So the prime locations in La Guaira are the second, third, fifth, and seventh letter in that phrase. And that will spell out A-G-A-R. 
But it's not just that, because it says repeatedly gathered from prime locations in La Guaira. So you need to take A-G-A-R and then do it again, A-G-A-R. And that gives you agar agar, which is a type of seaweed. It's the Malay name for a red algae, apparently. So there you go. Seaweed reportedly gathered from prime locations in La Guaira on the coast of Venezuela. Yes, but it's agar agar. And I thought that was neat. So, yes, we've got three questions. We have an easy question, a middle question and a very hard question. So uh, the first one, the easy question is based on 17 down. And uh, babies are born with two soft spots on the top of their heads. What's their medical name? The name for the soft spots and not for the babies. Um, is it one name for both spots? Yes, they have the same name. Okay, I think, yeah, I think I know it. Are you thinking of a word beginning with F? I am. Yes. No, I was asking where the volume was thinking of a word. I don't know. No, you know what the word is. I am. No. It's nothing to do with the clue, but I am. Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it's a word that sounds like it could have been the name of a girl group from the 60s, I think, <laughs> if you put yes. an S on the end. Yes, yes, I like it. Well, there is an S on the end because there are two of them. Oh, yeah. Well, there we are. It is and my baby love by the Fontanelles. It is. And I discovered when I was looking it up to check the spelling that apparently it's spelled differently in the UK and the US. Oh. So is this it, one of these things that we put a double L E and they just put it an is, L? And they just put an, an L. So interesting like, font. Like cigarettes and things like that. Yeah. Do they only have one T in, in cigarette? I did not know that. I think certainly it's a, a, a legitimate variant in America, yeah. C- was cigar E T. And yeah, and just drop the T, the second T. I think so. Yeah, it's not nearly as lovely. It's so lots what, of doubles and E's. Fontanelle. Where does that word come from? Font, as in. Oh, now you're asking. Mountain. Hmm. So it's something to do with baptizing. From the Latin "fons fontis," a fountain, apparently. Well, that's we disturbing medically. Although we can't <laughs> tell why. Yes, quite. Who knows okay. why? Mm. Okay, would you like your second question? Go this for is it, the please. Middle, middle, hard, hard, middle dish, hardest one. So, this is again, I have a passion for musicals. So, this is a question about one of my favourite musicals. So, which number from a famous musical starts with these words? Now, this is based on 13 Down. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. It's astounding. Time so it, it comes from a musical mad. originally, but it has been in the charts fairly recently and gets goes in every so often. Oh, Big okay. party number. Got a dance routine. Got a dance routine. Hmm. It's not my world. I don't know it. Is it? It does it date from the nineteen twenties or thirties? It's the 1970s originally. Oh, okay. It's definitely not the Lambeth Walk then. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I might have known it if it was. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what's astounding? What does time take its toll on? Um, madness takes its toll. Oh, madness takes its toll. It, it's astounding. Yeah. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. No, I don't know. Do you want me to tell you? Uh, or do you want another clue? steer us a bit closer? Okay. So, so it's 19... I think it's 72... Very outrageous then. Uh, it's a musical with a big cult following. Uh, like uh, Rocky Horror? It is from Rocky Horror, yes. 
the Rocky Horror Show. So, so the Richard oh, O'Brien's thing. So you yep. say it's been in the charts recently. Well, I don't, I don't know how recently. It, it's it, there's, there is definitely a pop version of this song. Right, probably okay. the so, most famous song from the musical. And if time is taking its toll, is it warping? It is warping <laughs> indeed. <laughs> ah, so we're doing that Let's again. Do the time warp again. <laughs> it's astounding. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> And yeah, I won't make you dance. <laughs> Mainly because nobody would see it and there's not a lot of point. But okay. So so this one, this is a number, the third one, the hard one. Yeah, I'll see if you can get the exact number. And if not, we'll do it to the nearest 10. Okay. So this one is based upon uh, Eight Down, uh, El Dorado. So in 1992, the BBC launched a glamorous soap opera that no, was did. meant to be the Dallas and Dynasty um of the UK, focusing on the lives of British expats in Spain. This was, mm. of course, El Dorado. But how many episodes were made? It was. Oh. It didn't run for long. I know that. I think it ran for less than a year, which is a start. Now, yeah. what I don't remember is how many episodes per week there were, because presumably it was at least weekly. So I, I, I'm gonna. What? I always let you go first, and then mm. so I'm I'm gonna just stick a pin in the ground and say twenty six episodes. Uh, no, okay. you are quite a long way off. Mm. Well, okay. yeah, I was just about to say if we're if we're aiming to get within the nearest ten, it's not going to be that low. Yeah. And Good so, point. therefore, if I'm right that it ran for less than a year, it's going to be multiple episodes per week. So let's say it was three episodes per week for 40 weeks, 120? You're very close. I think it ran for just over a year rather than just under. Oh, okay. So it was 156. 156. Oh, okay. I I was quite surprised because in my head it was over really quickly, but apparently it went through a revamp as well. Um, But Uh. it didn't didn't get enough people and then got canned just after a year. Right, okay, so 156, so that's, oh yeah, okay, so that's three a week for a year, more or less. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I never really my thing. I remember when I was little, my mum used to watch Dallas, so I would watch that with her, but that's about it. It's, never, I watched Neighbours for a bit but when I was younger, but that's about it. No, I'm not big on soaps. I do remember El Dorado being mocked and derided from very early on, I think, from like episode one or two, everyone oh. saying, "What's this tosh?" <laughs> yep, I think that that was pretty much it. So that's, again, doing a bit of internet research, that was pretty much the view of it. But so I, I was quite surprised it made 156 episodes. It seemed like quite mm. a lot to me. Yeah. Now the one I do remember as being just bizarre that it ever got made. Do you remember Triangle? I'm certainly aware of the name of it, and it's a vague. So, so Triangle was people like Kate O'Mara, or something yes, like Kate that. Yes, Kate O'Mara was in it. It was early '80s, and it was based on a ferry service that ran in a triangle between England, Scandinavia, and I don't know, Denmark or Germany or something. Exactly, <laughs> it was hilarious. It's just you're making a soap opera about what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a sitcom, 
Yes, sure. Yes, because that's yeah. got that that enclosed yeah yeah environment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and you kind of go yeah as you say if you're trying to do glamour, then the kind of the North Sea is not a. <laughs> You know, maybe the Mediterranean, you know, maybe the Caribbean, but yeah. yeah North Sea Ferries doesn't doesn't really do it for me. No. I highly recommend not bothering to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks for that, General. It's a pleasure. Midsummer Night's Dream kind of style. Good night unto you all. Give us your hands if we be friends. This episode has reached its ends. It doesn't work, does it? Never mind. Show notes will, as always, be at offgrid.tlnb.net. And if you want to contact us, I'm at Skirwingle on whichever social channel you care for. And I'm at the void TLNB. Yeah, ditto. And oh, I should probably plug one of my crosswords, but hey, you know where they are. Go find them, go do them, go ignore them, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> General, would you like to recommend something this episode? Yeah, I'd say if you're interested in playing games and crosswords in general, follow Nick Witten, N-I-C-W-H-I-T-T-O-N on Twitter. Excellent. Sounds like a plan. Thank you very much for helping us out. It's a pleasure as always. See you next time, folks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Off Grid is a TLMB production. Thank you to Bobcat and the FT for our crossword this episode, and thank you to the Trudy for our theme tune. If you like to help us spread the word, then please leave us a star rating in your pod provider, or if you can, a review on Apple Podcasts. We would especially love to hear some reviews from the USA, Canada, Ireland, Australia, or India, as that's where we have most listeners outside of the UK. Hello to everyone there, and all around the world. Or you can just post about us somewhere with the hashtag OffGridPod. Thanks folks, see you next time. So, on the... Uh... Oh. I've got motorbike outside, it'll go away in a second. <laughs> oh, I, I thought it was a warthog. <laughs> <laughs>